You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Can being confused be beneficial? I spoke to Jason Lodge about this. He's an associate professor from the University of Queensland and he did research applying this theory to the student landscape. Firstly, can you tell me what prompted this research? There were a few things that prompted the research. Uh, One of them is that there was a lot of work going on in the United States in particular around people using uh, adaptive learning environments where they uh, these environments are, are built, digital environments, uh, to assist students to learn often complex scientific concepts. And one of the things that they were finding in that research is that uh, students were get, often getting stuck and were having trouble. And you often, well, you almost always don't have the same capacity to intervene when a student's working in a digital environment as you do in a classroom environment where it's a lot more obvious that a student might be confused, for example, because you can generally see it on their face. So that was one of the sort of main drivers behind this work uh, broadly. But it was a program of research that was initially led by uh, Gregor Kennedy at the University of Melbourne and Laurie Lockyer, who's now at the University of Technology, Sydney, uh, who thought it would be a good idea to to follow on with that um, stream of research and look at this role of confusion and difficulties in the learning process and and why they might be important. And when you say digital environment, can you describe what you mean by that? So broadly we're talking about uh, any learning that might occur um, mediated by a computer. So we've looked at everything from uh, learning through videos through to uh, quite sophisticated uh, simulation environments where you've got, uh, you know, a conceptual idea and students can then manipulate variables within uh, you know an online interface to get a better understanding of how gravity works or how basic biological processes work that sort of thing. Does that mean that this research could apply to students of all ages or is it sort of more school oriented? Uh, It could apply to students of all ages, I think broadly because what we're uh, mainly interested in is the idea of conceptual learning. So as opposed to something that's a lot more procedural, so if you think about, uh, for example, you can watch a YouTube video on almost anything these days, it's relatively easy to pick up something that's a lot more procedural like, you know, how to bake a, a cake or how to put up a fence. Where it gets a lot more complicated is where people need to understand the complex mechanisms of climate change or if they you know, need to understand some aspect of biological processes so that they could diagnose diseases. Those sorts of things are much more complicated. So um, that, that's uh, where we've had an interest. But that kind of learning can apply at almost any level. You know, even quite young, young kids are dealing with conceptual ideas Um, And then obviously right the way through to university, students have to understand complex concepts as well. Can you explain how you went about studying this? So we used a range of approaches and that was a deliberate strategy uh, because collectively there's been a big group of us who have been involved in a science of learning research centre nationally in Australia over the last four years. And part of the uh, existence of that centre was to think about ways that we could take basic laboratory research, so things like um, electroencephalogram or EEG, so where we're looking at electrical activity in the brain, 
basic experimental studies like you would see in experimental or cognitive psychology and trying to make sense of what those studies might mean in practice. So we've done uh, work across a lot of different paradigms from sort of cognitive neuroscience, experimental psychology, and then into education and educational technology. So the, the idea was to try and get a sense of what might actually be going on across these sorts of different levels using different methodologies and ways of understanding how difficulties and confusion might be an important part of the process. So I assume that using those methods, you can actually determine when a student was confused. Is that? Yeah, yeah. that's, that's right. So um, there are a number of different markers and we've always got to be careful about what those markers might mean. So for example, uh, a student might stop at some point in the learning process and that might indicate that they've hit an impasse and be confused or find something difficult, but it could also mean that they've given up or they've become frustrated. And one of the things that we've been particularly mindful of is trying to figure out what the differences might look like between those so that we can make better predictions about which of those things might be happening. So two students will experience uh, you know, some sort of difficult or complex aspect of the learning in completely different ways based on their prior knowledge or how confident they are in the material and so on. So that's been one of the tricky things that we found um, during the process of this uh, research is that there is such a vast difference between students in terms of how they interpret difficulties and then what kind of strategies they put in place to deal with them. Assuming they were confused, have you found anything so far about how this could be potentially beneficial? Yeah, so what seems to be uh, particularly important is that if uh, students have a conception of something that might not necessarily be accurate, uh, then often what what has to happen is that that conception needs to be undone in some way before they can then build up the correct conception. And what we're finding is that um, experiencing some sort of disequilibrium is what it generally is in a sort of cognitive sense is often accompanied by a feeling of confusion. So what that means is that they're often actually going through the process that we would hope that they would go through in that they're revisiting what they think they know, um, undoing that to an extent, so that they can then build up their understanding in a way that is, is more accurate. How can this help teachers in dealing with students who are facing that situation? So I think that there's a couple of things that, that come out of that. Um, one of them, I think, is that we probably need to move a little bit away from the idea that being confused is always a, a bad thing. Um, now, obviously, it can very easily tip over into frustration and boredom, so we've got to be very careful to make sure that we don't have students who are continuously confused. But I think the, the sort of important take-home out of all of this is that it is a critical part of the learning process in a lot of cases, particularly when we're dealing with complex concepts. So I think that the first part is to just be aware of that. And then the second part, I think, is to then work on ways to help students to uh, come up with strategies so that if they do feel like they're confused, Firstly, they can understand that that could actually be a normal part of the process. And secondly, to develop strategies so that they can start to manage that. So, for example, if they're confused because they're not using a, a very good strategy to understand something, then they understand that that cue uh, is probably telling them that they might need to change their strategy in some way so that they can understand what it is that they're trying to understand. 
I understand that there were also differences between the ways in which confident and less confident students dealt with confusing information. What were these differences and how can teacher strategies change in light of them? Yeah, so confidence is a really critical part of all of this. So what we what we find is that um, students who are very confident in an area can often be overconfident. And sometimes what that means is that if they have a misconception about something, they don't necessarily experience enough of that kind of disequilibrium that I was talking about before. So what happens is that they don't uh, delve deeply enough into the concepts, they don't experience that disequilibrium and they don't end up undoing the incorrect conception that they have because they don't kind of uh, experience the sort of blockage and impasse that other students do. They sort of have this, you know, I understand this and I'm just going to bowl straight through it. And what can happen is that the misconception can actually be reinforced rather than corrected. Whereas at the other end of the scale, we've got students who are very low on confidence, often will hit a blockage or an impasse and very quickly become confused. And that confusion will tip over into um, frustration, boredom and giving up. So you can see that the confidence level will drive very different approaches to both what happens in that situation and then how the students respond to the feeling that they get when they get confused or they may not experience enough disequilibrium to actually revisit what they're doing. So from a teacher's perspective, um, what you can see is that you have a situation that the majority of students might find difficult and get stuck on, but depending on their confidence level, they're going to need quite different interventions um, to help them get a, you know, to get through that. So the confidence student, for example, probably needs to be slowed down a little bit to say, hold on, do you really understand this? Are you sure that you've, you've um, got what this task is uh, enough to be able to stop and revisit what you think you know? Whereas the student who's not very confident probably needs a little bit more scaffolding and help um, to understand how they might deal with that sort of confusing or difficult material. Were there any other variables that produced interesting or contrasting results? Yeah, so there were a few um, interesting things that came out of some of the research that we've doing. One of them is that what we've found um, in a lot of the work that we've been doing is a thing called a hypercorrection effect. Now, a hypercorrection effect happens particularly when you've got um, students who are very confident about something but incorrect. So something we see quite a lot in the world nowadays with the easy access to information is that you can very quickly feel like you understand something very well when in fact often it can be a misconception that you've you've got. Now what sort of happens there is that if that misconception can be corrected in some way through feedback or some other um, instructional mechanism then the learning is much more powerful and tends to last longer. So somebody who's really confident but wrong, if you can get them to change their mind about something, then that's quite a deep learning experience for, for a lot of people. So that was one thing that we found in a number of the studies that we did. And what's next in the study future for this research topic? So what we're looking at now is that we want to try and understand more about how the conceptual change process happens, particularly in digital environments. So broadly, what, as I said before, we were look, we're looking at um, conceptual ideas and they're often very complicated and difficult 
um, and have multiple elements involved in them. So what we're trying to understand is how people make sense of these sorts of ideas when they're in these much more immersive kind of environments. So, um, for example, we've got much better access to video instruction now, um, given the download speeds and everything else that are available that weren't available that long ago. So what does it mean if somebody's trying to understand a complex concept, you know, like something in quantum physics, for example, and they're watching videos to understand that? How are people actually processing that? And are they able to come to understand that in a, in a useful way, given that essentially it really is a, a broadcast? And we know that um, broadcasting ideas at people is not going to be as effective as them sort of actively um, using the ideas in a, in a sort of classroom setting. So we're trying to understand the ways in which we might be able to maximise the use of these digital environments to help people to, to develop a more sophisticated understanding of complex concepts. Okay, well that concludes all of my questions. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Uh, no, I, th I think we've probably covered it. I think the, the main take home is that, you know, sometimes being confused is a good thing, but we don't want it to last too long because we know that it can very easily end up in, in boredom and frustration if we don't have good mechanisms for knowing what to do when we do get confused. Yeah, and I suppose as well um, another consideration is how can teachers actually implement strategies to assist students and how can they, first of all, know that these students are confused and then how can they intervene as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah which, which I think, yeah, I think that goes back to... Um, just helping students to, to know that, it, that it's okay and that you know sometimes that's an important part of the learning process because you've got to undo what you think you know before you can, you can build up um, the right ideas, I guess. And I guess that's something that we can all take home as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I've noticed that I've become much better when I get stuck or confused about something now. I'll often just remind myself, oh, actually, this might be a good thing. So I've just got to look at what I'm doing and maybe change my strategy and um, hopefully I can work through it. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Not a problem, Lauren. Thank you.